Hello, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I have been told many times that I speak too fast on this podcast. So here I am, slowing it down. This chat is with Matt Howarth, an art director and background supervisor at Muck Putty, an animation studio based in Auckland, New Zealand. In our chat, he's gonna share how difficult it was to build an animation career in New Zealand when there wasn't really any steady long-term gigs going around. He's also gonna dive into what it was like helping build Muck Putty from a super tight-knit team into a growing studio of over 50, and what kind of projects led to that growth. Now, before we dive in, if you enjoy listening to this podcast every week and would like to help me keep it running, consider dropping a few dollars on my Patreon. I've included a link in the description of this chat. And now, without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Matt. How how you doing today? Yoda. Hi, Terry. Good, good. It's um, here, which is a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you're in New Zealand, which is complete opposite of the world, and I'm in Toronto, and somehow you mm-hmm. found my podcast and listened to over 100 episodes. How did you find my podcast, first of all? Yeah, I mean, probably going through Spotify, listening to a bunch of different ones, and eventually get recommended one that sort of hits for you. Um, I also remember Heath Kenny um, mentioning he was about to come on your show. Um, yeah. Same with Jeremy Nixon. So as I said, all Kiwis really do know each other. Yeah, so somehow probably have had more on there. The most listened to episode, I think, or one of the most really? like on YouTube, it has like twenty or thirty thousand listens or something, yeah. like that, which is crazy. I think everyone knows him. <laughs> just one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You're you're right. Everybody knows him. Okay. So you listened to over a hundred episodes, which which yeah. I'm super impressed at. How long <laughs> did that take you? It was. I mean, I started. Let's see midway through sort of the COVID pandemic-y stuff. So the okay. end of 2021, we went into our longest lockdown here in Auckland. So it was a lot of work working from home. Yeah. Um, and a lot of being a little bit isolated and missing people in the studio. And I think like a lot of people, we listen to podcasts while we work when you can't turn around and chat to the people in the room behind you. Totally. Um, and so it was really, yeah, really cool to listen to people in similar struggles. Like, as I said, the fact that you're, you know, I was working really late nights, um, sometimes over the weekend. We try not to do that now, but I was definitely doing it during lockdown when like your routine gets all screwy. And then listening to other people going through similar stuff, even if it's on the other side of the world or if they were in completely different projects, is it's really cool. So yeah. I mean, that seems uh, it is cool, but it also there's like a depressing side of it where you're like you're working oh, yeah. late. We're listening to other people working late. All right, yep. last question on the podcasting. <laughs> You've listened to over 100 episodes. Episodes. What do you wish that uh, I ask or the topic leads into more? You know, is there is there something that you want more out of the podcast? Listening to so many. Like, Ooh. what do you? Is there something where you're like, oh, I wish, I wish we always talked about this. Or I wish they asked this, and then I'm going to ask it to you, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um. Well, I think the thing that I've been struggling with in the last sort of four to five years as I've gotten busier and busier in this industry is how to maintain the work-life balance stuff. Mm. So talking about, you know, sometimes you have to work really late. Sometimes you have to take projects really quickly, uh, especially if you need if you need the money for them or if a deadline comes in and you're like, okay, we just need to make this happen. Yeah. Then having to also like have a life outside of it all um, is really tricky like it is it's a weird job that we do um it's sometimes really it's sometimes 
uh, not appreciated in certain aspects, particularly finan- financially. So sometimes you have to take on more work. That's just how it is. And then like, you know, I still want to have a life. I want to turn off my brain and not do just work stuff after a certain bit of time. But, you know, we're also in a creative industry where your brain needs to keep ticking on stuff. You know, you're constantly thinking about the next idea or you're problem solving something that you might've, you might've put down two weeks ago, Yeah, (laughs) but there's a little part of your brain that's still trying to work it out. So that's the stuff that I'm struggling with or I've been working on in the last few years and I'm getting better at it. But I do wonder, I think that that is something a lot of creatives, particularly in the animation that we struggle with. Totally, um, yeah. 100%. I'm always interested in how people do it. Like I just, I've been cooking more, I've been swimming more, that sort of thing. But otherwise it's it's difficult. <laughs> I think, you know, the people I've talked to and myself as well, I just make boundaries. Um, for instance, like I, I just told myself, I'm going to stop answering any work-related email on a weekend which is really yep. tough when like, for instance, I run this podcast and I'm co- connecting with people sometimes over the weekend, but I just told myself, I'm going to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, th- however, I didn't follow my own rule this past weekend, even though it was a holiday because I worked the, the whole weekend. Yep. But oh, yeah, it always what happens. would cause you to say no to a deadline or a project and instead get that mental break and work-life balance that you wish you had? What would What would cause you to say, no, I'm not going to take this crazy deadline. No, I'm yep. not going to rush this job. Well, it is way better now that I have a little bit more financial stability and the studio is running smoothly and everything like that. Like we have a little bit of breathing room, which is good. Um, But also the other thing is, even if a deadline comes through, because we are a studio with many hands, if a deadline comes through and it's really tight, we can just be like, hey, who wants to help on this? Like, can we get more hands on this to make it easier? Um, So we're definitely getting better at it. Uh, having um, a partner who w- works regular hours is also huge. You know, I want to see the people in my life that I love. That is yeah. a huge part of it, right? And I don't want to be uh, distracted while hanging out with them because that's also, as I said, another part of it. So you mentioned financial, the finances. So if Ooh. you feel in a better financial place, you're willing yeah. to say no to more things. Yes, which is very privileged and it hasn't yeah. always been the case. But yeah, I think I think so. Or so does least... this mean does this mean you're sacrificing your mental health and <laughs> ba- like me- work life balance for finances? I guess because you could also just say no and not have the totally. money and not you know absolutely know, go on a vacation yeah, yeah. every so often. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, yeah, I was I've recently been overseas to Rarotonga, and that was the first time I've been overseas on an overseas holiday in 10 years. Wow. So, I mean, that sort of speaks to it. So uh, not only, you know, with the studio stuff now, but um, doing freelancing for so long, you sometimes feel like you can't take those breaks or you feel like you can't, uh, you know, if you stop the momentum of the train rolling, like that's going to be it. And now I just know that's not the case and it's not worth it. Even if that was the case, (laughs) it's just not worth it. So maybe last question on this, you know, um, you said the studio is getting to a good place. Does this mean you've changed the type of projects that your studio is taking that allow for more balance? Or have you just reached a point where you don't have to hustle so much to get the client work and get things done? Or like, I'm just wondering how, how, because the studio is 20 years old, you've been working Ooh. there for the past, what, 10, seven years or something like that? Yeah, seven, eight years now, yeah. So, like, what has been the main progress? Because that's a long time. Seven years is a long yeah. time. What has been the main change over time that has allowed you to say, 
I want, I'm going to have a better work-life balance now. Mm. Yeah. Well, and the studio is called Muck Putty. So we're Muck Putty Animation. Yes. Um, and we do primarily 2D uh, kids content. So we create our own shows. We also do a lot of service work. We've been doing more service work in the last few years. Um, and more recently, we've gotten uh, a a chunk of money from the film commission to make a bigger project which has been huge so we're gearing up for that now um but yeah that the main difference is you know that mixture of service work and our own ips have yeah. just built up over the last little while we've built this runway we're finally building momentum um where you know even during um all of the lockdown stuff during all the pandemic, which I know the pandemic isn't over at all, but, you know, just saying during all that time, we were able to still bring in service work because we have a bit of a reputation now. Um, people know about us. Uh, it's easier to go out there and ask like, hey, you know, where is this work going to come yeah. from? Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> I have so many questions to ask, but <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep going with this flow. So yeah, yeah. you mentioned... Um, creating your own IPs, which is kind Ooh. of the dream of many studios. Yep. But a lot of studios find that they get caught up in the service work to keep the lights mm -hmm. on yep. uh, and then to develop and then, you know, take money and time away from the artists that they currently have to develop mm -hmm. their own IPs and, and start learning that from scratch and the whole sales process and finding partners. You know, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and effort. So what was the, I guess, uh, energy that the you and the studio had to put in to to reach a state where you have both service work and your own IPs going at the same time, you know, it's, and it's quite a juggle. Um, so as a brief, I think my party was started um, in two thousand and one with uh, three friends from Animation College, so Alex, Ryan, and Tim. So they're the three mucks. Um, so they just met in their animation course, got on really well, and thought, hey, let's you know, we want to make stuff. And they started just making stuff out of the basement. Uh, they worked from there, making a bunch of web series and stuff that they just released for free. Um, huh. Just early days of the internet. Um, it was downloading quick times. It was, you know, uploading stuff to blog spots, all that sort of thing. Uh, no YouTube yet at that point. Slowly built a name um, in New Zealand. So doing things like uh, music videos. Uh, they eventually got a spot on a uh, a after school. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Like an after. It was an after school program that had like a segment in it that was perfect for animation. And they said, "Okay, cool. We'll take that spot, and we're going to make a short animated piece to slot in there to this, you know." mostly variety show um and they were able to do it and they pumped out uh one four to five minute piece of animation a week which is insane with just three of them wow. <laughs> um which is you know never been done before but on that network not with um a deadline like that which was really cool so it was called sparkle friends which i grew up watching which is really cool uh, they then started to uh, take that same format of making a real quick, real like, you know, it was kind of a quick and dirty turnaround for, you know, for a cartoon like that and took those skills and used them in a 48 hour film competition. So they have them all around the world, but in New Zealand, it was, yeah, the 48 hour film fest, um, which is the idea is you make a film in 48 hours. So you have a weekend and you make a film. 
um, and they were the first animated entry to ever, well, to ever try it. And they won the very first year, which is awesome. Uh, They continued to do that for a few years, building more of a name for themselves. Again, still doing the ad stuff, still doing music videos, um, until eventually they started pitching their own bigger IPs. And they got a show called The Barefoot Bandits um, off the ground, which was going to be a, you know, a network sitcom playing here. So it was going to play on primetime right after The Simpsons. It was had a perfect sort of lead into The Simpsons, this crazy show about sort of uh, it was the Kiwi Goonies, basically. It was a bunch of kids running around getting into mischief with some cool supernatural and horror elements in there. And with that show, that was sort of the big push. And they were able to go from three people to 15 for the first time. Yeah, wow. So, you know, all again, and that was in 2000 and sort of 14, 15, they got that. So again, you've got all those years in between of slowly building up this momentum. With There were three music. people for over 10 years? Yep, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> that sounds super fun, but also yep. a little bit insane, I guess, because it because it also sounds like they were mass producing a ton of animation. Yep. So and, how- not, and not not just animation as well, like they were doing yeah. uh they started a a movie magazine, basically. <laughs> they started anything that they could get their creative hands-on so they created a magazine basically so they could sell the comics right at the back so that they could get their their comics in out into the public which is you know again a crazy thing to do because there isn't a lot of uh comic distribution in new zealand um particularly at that point so they were like yeah we'll make it and that's sort of (laughs) the whole mentality all the the magazine still running to this day it's not no 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 but um yeah so they just kept on rolling from three yeah. people to 15, then from the Barefoot Bandits. So there are two seasons of that. Um, I came on board around then to help with some smaller uh, web series they were working on. Um, so we did a show called Pipima, which is a uh, preschool show all set in Te Reo Māori. Um, and a bunch of other like smaller web shows and stuff like that. And then in 2018 got a a bigger show with a um it was an australian idea that eventually came through that they sort of reworked as a muck putty idea uh, called quimbo's quest okay um which was a 52 episode sitcom this this zany little character um and yeah from there the studio grew from 15 to 50 wow which is crazy so they actually kind of grew through IPs versus getting more and more yep. uh, service work, which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I have questions about that, but, you know, you talked a little bit about where you came on. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can share your story a little bit. So I know you went to animation Ooh. school and yep. uh, you met these guys there. And you were like, <laughs> yeah, these they came my... in to do a talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They came in to do a talk about um, their show Sparkle Friends, which was it had just finished at that point, and they were working on another smaller show called Crumbs. Um, and they came in to do a talk to talk about you know the opportunities in the industry, which in New Zealand is quite limited. Yeah. Uh, at that point, there were a few studios doing animation stuff, but none of them making like the type of cartoons that I wanted to see and make. The what's the, what's the name of the school up. you went to? 
Um, at that point, it was called Freelance Animation School. Yeah. Um, it's now called UB. So it's the same school that um, Jeremy Nix and Heath Kenny and most New Zealand animators have gone through, including the five the New Zealand animators. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. How many people are in each year in the program? I'm just curious. Ooh, a lot. Um, I had 50 in my year. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. But unfortunately with the, you know, the state of the industry, because it is quite small, I think I'm potentially the only one working in the industry. Oh, wow. Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Which sort of says something for the fact that, you know, it is, we are a small country down here and, um, to retain people in New Zealand can be really tricky. So so most people go to go to a different country after that because it sounds like there's a lot of demand for people who want to be animators or absolutely supply no demand absolutely yeah yeah yeah, no or or, you know people are really interested in learning the skill and um yeah so a lot of people go overseas um or they have to change career paths or become or, or just diversify so that's actually what I ended up doing. So I I studied there for two years, got yeah. a bunch of diplomas. It was classical um, 2D flipping animation back then. It wasn't okay. even like uh, Toon Boom or Flash or anything like that. So I, and I think I was there the last year they had the drawing desks. So mm. I would have learned some digital stuff after that, but I was slightly too early. I went very young. I went at 16 thinking, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get this under my belt and be a professional animator once I'm done. Um, and then they took away all the drawing desks. And I was like, oh, we have to use a computer, do we? Okay. Um, so yeah. <laughs> did you get hired right out of school then? Or did you have to change career paths for a bit? Like you said, a lot of people do. Yeah, so I graduated. Um, I then tried to do some 3D. So I actually went to an animation course at a different school to learn 3D for about a year. Um, I had to drop out of that course. Um, The reason was I actually got diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is a crazy thing to be diagnosed with um, in your late teens. Most people are diagnosed as a baby. So it was a big spanner in the works that was thrown in there. I'd always been a little bit sick growing up, but we didn't know how intense it was going to be. So at that point, um, cystic fibrosis was, you know, and it still is a huge deal. Like it affects a lot of people across the world. And um, me at the ripe age of of 20, I was about to turn 20 and I got this diagnosis and I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to want, the plan was I'd go to this other animation course. I'd already, already been getting, um, job offers and stuff through my storyboarding work and my um, illustration portfolios. So I was like, cool, I'll just pick up one more sort of degree course and then I'll be in the studio system. It'll be great, work from there. And then I got this diagnosis, but sort of threw a big spanner in the works because uh, it takes a lot of uh, physio, a lot of energy, a lot of just, I had to re- I had to reprioritize everything in my life because all of a sudden I have a disease, which at that point was a terminal disease, you know, that gives you one with with a life expectancy, which was pretty crazy to hear. Yeah. Um, so I had to reprioritize everything, as I said. So um what, what was going through your mind mentally at that point when you got diagnosed and you just, you know, spent a couple of years working towards this career that you wanted? Yeah. Well, it was weird because I, I really thought like, everything was about to jump off. I was super excited. As I said, I'd spent, I, I'd, I'd uh, 
studied all my high school exams early so I could go to animation college early. Oh, wow. All that stuff. You were so motivated. Yeah, I was like, here we go. Um, and then, yeah, after doing some tests, I got diagnosed. Uh, and yeah, it was a weird thing because it, it was a big, it felt like a roadblock. I sort of say that now thinking back, but I'm sure at the time it was far more traumatic, to be honest. Yeah. Because, you know, it was this whole thing of I thought I had my life mapped out. Was I thought, here we go. This is going to be smooth sailing. Everything's working in the right direction. Um, and then I had to pull out of the animation course because I needed to prioritize on my health. I, need, I had a whole new physio regime that I needed to do. Had to speak to all these specialists. Um, yeah, lots of complications thrown in there. So wow. I sort of took a year off to recenter around all the, uh, not only around the physical health stuff, but the mental health stuff too. Um, because it's, you know, at, at 20, when you think you've got a certain roadmap ahead of you, when that sort of changes, um, yeah, it changes your perspective a little bit. I wasn't too negative at the time, which is really good. I think it shows I had a good support network around me and, you know, my parents were super supportive and everything like that. They were like, cool, you know, move back home, stay at home, you can live rent free for a while. So again, it's the, the privilege of having that safety net was huge. Um, and the other thing was I had this physio regime that meant I couldn't do a normal nine to five at the time Yeah, because I had to do like, you know, three hours of physio at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. So I was like, how three am I going to squeeze this in? Twice a day? Yeah, wow. yeah, totally. Yeah. Three hours, so about an hour of that on a nebulizer and then running and all sorts of stuff as well. So it was, it was pretty intense, particularly early on. I will say it will spoil the story that, but, um, <laughs> technology has advanced in those last 10 years there's now a, a medical a miracle pill they're calling it called um I, I take one called Kaleidico but there's another one called Trikafta which has vastly become available all around the world but it's just been approved in New Zealand for everybody and it basically uh it kind of cures cystic fibrosis to a certain extent which is wow fucking incredible yeah <laughs> so it just means yeah exactly so not only for me i started taking it a few years ago but now for everyone in new zealand and for most developed parts of the world um cystic fibrosis is no longer going to be a huge part of their lives it's still always going to be there but it's not going to be this debilitating uh you know life shortening thing so super super grateful for that <laughs> do you still have to do the physio and and routines and things? i do but i do like half an hour either end of the day and i take oh, a wow. shit ton of pills but that's about it it's so much easier well that's so. that's that's very bad news and very good news <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah so that so but at the time it was like a lot to take on yeah for sure <laughs> as you can imagine um and i also knew that i needed to not only stay busy creatively but i needed a job i needed an income um so uh i started an illustration business doing um any sort of work I could get my hands on. So doing everything from kids' books illustrations through to I did I did storyboarding, I did logo design, anything where it was like this could be, you know, wake on pen on tablet. If I can yeah. draw it, if someone will pay for me to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> I did everything. Um, lots of storyboard work, lots of ad work, all that sort of thing. Um, and alongside that, I started running um, after school classes for kids. Oh. teaching them to draw so that was the other part because I also, I realized very quickly when you start um, a freelance graphic design business out of nowhere at first it's very slow going trying to get clients trying to build a yeah. name for yourself 
So I built this, um, yeah, uh, teaching business alongside it, which I knew would keep consistent money coming through. And I knew what, uh, did, did you just reach out to your local schools and say, Hey, <laughs> basically, yeah. And a lot of it was run through community centers. So I'd book oh. my own, um, well, I'd book the venues. I had website, would do it all myself. So it was all fully independent. Wow. Um, yeah. And at one point I was doing that six days a week, teaching over a hundred kids across the city. Oh my gosh. Um, it was, it was great. And it was, you know, this huge, this weird business that came out of nowhere. It came out of a necessity of having, you know, I needed something to do, needed something to, uh, you Were know, you still thinking this... about animation this whole time, getting back into it? Yeah. So, um, while this was going, particularly once the business, the, the, the after school teaching business got a bit more secure and I had a little bit more time, I started diving back into uh, studio work. Hmm. So there were a few studios around Auckland. I'd, I'd just do a contract here or there. Um, but I found it pretty cutthroat. The fact of you do, you know, you do a job for, you know, it could be as much as six months, you get to know everybody. Um, and then the job disappears. And I right. that's just the nature of the industry. But uh, I found that didn't give me the stability that I really wanted. I wanted to be there with a community. I got, you know, I wanted to make stuff with a crew. Um, and so I thought for the longest time that the studio game wasn't for me hmm. um, until I started working at Mark Putty. So, so what changed about um, your mentality? Because... You had this stable thing going with kids, which is like you're building mm -hmm. a community or watching people develop and grow it, it yep. over time. And then you're getting cut from studios. And then mm -hmm. you just happen to pawn Muck Buddy because you're still totally. looking for work or? Well, I'd always stayed um, friends with them. Like uh, we'd meet up at conventions because, you know, doing illustration, I'd be at conventions or art markets, even selling stuff. So I built it like a good friendship with the guys. And then out of the blue, they were like, hey, do you want to come on and do some backgrounds for us? And I was like, cool. Like, yeah, yes. sure. It was very casual. I was like, cool. I'll jump on and do some of these. Um, and that went really well. And I love the guys. And slowly it just built. I do, you know one job a year then two jobs a year and then they asked me to come in to be the background supervisor for quimbo's quest and i was like yeah sure not really knowing how big a job it would turn into and at that point i was still teaching i was still doing some freelancing on the side um so you were going was... into their studio and then heading back home and then traveling to schools and then heading back home every day i was doing i was doing the studio stuff from home at that point Ah. So I'd be, so it just felt like other freelancing work to a certain extent until the Quimbo's Quest job kicked off, which was a I bigger see. job, much bigger team. And all of a sudden I was like, this is what I want. This is a crew of 50 people, this ragtag, like bunch of pirates that we were all, you know, gathered together trying to make this thing with not a lot of time. We made 52 episodes of a 10 minute sitcom you know, adventure animated sitcom in nine months. What? Which was a <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to yeah. say two years, nine months. Yeah. Oh nine my months. gosh. It takes me Never that long to make one 10 minute episode. <laughs> yep. All 2D. Um, I think we got close to 2000, like finely painted backgrounds over the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it was the most fun. It was a lot of work and it was stressful, but it was the most fun. But the part that I got from it was the community community aspect. The fact yeah. that it was a bunch of people all making something together 
And even when it was stressful, you were in it together. And that was huge. And that's what I missed from doing freelancing, which is if it's stressful, it's just sort of you there. <laughs> but how does that different than when you were on a freelance project for six months and then at mm -hmm. the end of it, it's gone versus you're on a freelance? I mean, it's not a freelance. It kind of is a freelance mm -hmm. project for nine months. How is that, how is that too different? Just you're staying but, at the studio afterwards? I mean, it was also the fact of like, Mukpati do things a little bit differently. We're a full service studio. So we do everything from the writing through the storyboards, edits, sound recording, animation, background, comping. We do every part of it. That's crazy to um, me. <laughs> Especially yeah. that you also, you also do sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it voice records everything. Um, uh, a lot of our um, writers are voice artists. So they'll also be performing on the shows. Like Ryan, who is our sort of our one of the, the original mucks he's the head writer he's directs every episode and he's in a lot of our shows so <laughs> I'm, I'm just a random question because like yeah, yeah. in the u.s and canada there are unions mm -hmm. for um you know voice actors mm -hmm. uh writers etc how do you work so in new zealand because the industry is so small we don't even have like the animation unions and stuff Got like you. that There's well we don't have lot. an animation union here in canada but like if oh really you yeah. hire a writer for a mm -hmm. show like there are rates you have to hit mm -hmm. and and things like that but oh we we still have to do that like it still all has to be in the budget and everything like that but the Got difference you. is we has the versatility where ryan can sort of you know he can hire himself quickly if we need a line yeah. or something hire himself you know quickly. <laughs> I mean? yeah we can you know we can make that sort of stuff happen um, so that must be and, like a key selling feature for muck putty that when you go to a client you're just like uh you need anything we'll do it we'll do it all totally we'll do the whole Absolutely. thing from start to finish yeah and that's actually what happened with kumbo's quest they came to us with this idea and they're like hey we just want you to animate it and the more we started speaking to them um the mucks were like we can just write this for you like if the deadline's that tight we can do it and we know how to write we know how to do everything else and i think that's sort of one of the other key parts is we know how to write for animation we know how to write it yeah. that works for our deadlines does that um because there's like some schools of thought and one is like you really have to focus on one thing to become an expert mm -hmm. at it uh mm -hmm. versus the school of thought of like being a jack of all trades and you can do anything does mm -hmm. that set you up for opportunities that you might not get or does it set Absolutely. you up for failing at some opportunities because you don't <laughs> focus on that one thing it definitely could be that i think that we're really good at what we do yeah so i think we are really good at the stuff that we focus on um and that, again, asking why did I stay here rather than go to another studio? It was the fact that I could see, like, I can learn directing here. I can yeah. help writing. I can, you know, I, I saw opportunities where I could try different stuff out. And that's definitely what's happened. Like, I went yeah, from that's... background artist to background supervisor to art director. And, you know, because we are still a reasonably small studio as far as, like, you know, a full service studio goes, um, people do multiple jobs so sometimes i'll be giving uh storyboarders direction on stuff or script rewrites i get to do a little bit of everything and that's awesome that's always what i wanted to do <laughs> i mean that's that's kind of like what i like to do i like to have mm. my hands in everything because like pigeonholing myself in one thing it's great because you get better at it but over time it gets a little uh i don't i feel less inspired and i feel more inspired to do other things i guess yeah like i'm really excited to like direct versus like storyboard versus like just storyboard the rest of my life for instance so yeah. what kind of people you know you're building a community you're you're growing your studio mm -hmm. you said you're 50 60 people now what kind of mm -hmm. people are you hiring at this 
at, at Muck Putty, are you hiring people that can do everything or are you specializing more in like just hiring a storyboard artist like a traditional studio would just mm -hmm. hire somebody that can only do one thing and then that's all they do? First and foremost, like the, the drawing skills have to be there for any part of the job for us. So even when we're hiring animators, we, we work a lot in uh, Flash or Adobe Animate. Like that's how we've yeah. made pretty much all our stuff up until now. So we're about to transition over to doing more Toon Boom stuff. Yeah. Um, Flash is listening to this being like, no. Look, <laughs> we're we trying so with, hard. We have done stuff with Flash that you would not believe. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> yeah. I think we've pushed it to its limits and we're, we'll probably always use it, but we're also using Sun use Toon Boom now. Um, so even though we do sort of rigged animation, those drawing skills are always really important. Um, when hiring, I think we do look for someone who has a little bit of uh, the variety to be able to do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So like we have storyboard artists who um, are also going to do some backgrounds for us. Uh, we have animators who also are really into writing. So we do want to foster hmm. um, not only that that artist or that animator we want to foster their career and their career in the studio potentially so you know the same way i came on and i just started drawing some backgrounds for a web series however many years ago and now you know i'm there helping pitch shows and directing stuff as well yeah. as I, I still love drawing the backgrounds to be honest i still like making pretty pictures um but yeah i think we that's something we look for is um a little bit of a drive from people where they are interested in any part of the process um and also just don't be a dick that's the main thing if i'm honest when that's hiring. What everybody says don't be a dick don't yeah. be an asshole etc no that makes a lot yeah. of sense and that that's i think that's really cool especially that you kind of grew by pitching your own ideas and to pitch your own mm -hmm. ideas you need a lot of internal creativity so that's that's really interesting absolutely and that has already happened like we've had uh we had a animatic editor who came on for Quimbo's Quest, yeah. uh, Becky Quake. And she then pitched a show sort of to uh, the local funding body and got that over the line and got funding for that. And she's now made two series of that show here wow. with everyone at Mukpuri, which is incredible. And she, you know, it was her first ever animation gig. She's, she's, she's an actor, but she came on board to edit some animatics and was like, hey, I, I get the hang of this. And then she wrote a really cool... Um, pitch bible um got a bunch of people to help with the artwork and we managed to get it funded and then it, you know it's two seasons later and it's one of the prettiest things we've done amazing and that started from somebody who was hired not necessarily as you know the most creative of roles you know on paper but we knew that this person was versatile and had a love for the craft so, and, yeah, so your culture actively fosters this type of thing like as she much felt as possible yeah. like kind of putting it in your hands because because, you know, like, you know, I've been through the pitching process and there are lawyers involved and it takes years and negotiations and, you know, everybody wants their piece of the pie and and type of thing. So um, I don't know. Can, can you speak to that a little bit uh, now that you've totally yeah. she still did it. She started up a, a, a production company through her name. So hmm. she still had fully creative control over it. But she then trusted us as you know the heads of department who were right. working on the actual content trusted us because she knew us all to you know to produce the best stuff possible cool. um so even though it was still you know it was under her name and it was her ip yeah. for this particular project um but there was so much trust going both ways which is huge yeah yeah so tell me a little bit you know you've been involved in the pitching process etc and and mm -hmm. You know, Makapati has gotten a couple of things off the ground, which I think is amazing. Mm. Can you speak to, you know, what does it take to 
create an idea that gets funded, for instance, you know, are you when when you're looking at the original idea, are you just creating, you know, what you would love to see in the world? Are you looking at the world and saying, what does it need right now? A little bit of both. Um, we definitely go from the point of view of what would we want to see? Yeah. Like, I think you've got to make the content you want to see. Like, you've got to be the biggest fans of it first. I really think that's important. Um, it also means that you're going to be the biggest, like, you know, sellers of it. You're the ones who's going to be the most excited about this project. So it has oh. to be, it has to come from a place of love. Um, and also, to be honest, just throwing everything at a wall. We've we've <laughs> pitched a lot of shows over the last little while. What's a, what's a lot of shows? Like I'm the, I'm the type, I have three pitches myself and like I've put mm -hmm. all of my energies and energy into these pitches and like I'm I'm trying to get them made before I create a hundred more. So like with you, how many, what's a lot of pitches? We aim up until sort of last year we aim at around five to seven a year sometimes okay. up to 10 pitches a year so does that does that ever get lot. exhausting with uh broadcasters or producing partners when they're like oh here's muck putty again with uh their giant library of pitches that <laughs> that are still coming it out, can like do but then also particularly in new zealand at least for a known commodity and they know that we can produce it so yeah. a lot of our pitching goes through um a local government body called uh, New Zealand On Air, which is, mm. you know, it's government money, so it's public money. So they've really got to make sure that the money goes, uh, is used wisely and correctly in a way that reflects the community. Right. Um, and we have a really good track record with them, a great, like, working relationship. We've had a bunch of shows. We've got shows like The Drawing Show, which um, is a sort of a... a the Muppets meets a YouTube drawing tutorial, okay, um, which is super fun. Kids love it. We've got a a sort of slacker comedy. Um, again, these are all aimed aimed at kids, even though you know a slacker sl slash stoner comedy wouldn't necessarily be aimed for kids. But we we you know we we take that uh, that energy and we make it for kids. Yeah. <laughs> we take the stuff that we would still like to see. Um, Barefoot Bandits. Uh, to Mickey Space, we've had a bunch of stuff with them over the last few years, which have, you know, worked really well, and also had a great re reception from them. Um, I'm rambling a little bit. What was the question? Sorry, I Jake. was just wondering. You know, what does it take to create a pitch that gets funded? Mm. Well, yeah, particularly for, like, let's say for New Zealand on air, they want to see how is it going to reflect, like, a community kids. and exactly. So the yeah. Kids in New Zealand, for one, they want to see that you can produce the work. So having a library of, uh, you know, a big library of produced work that looks really pretty, that looks like even if you just see it as you're scrolling through the document, you can see that looks like a show that gives yeah. a lot of trust to them as well. Um, and we also try whenever possible to provide things like animation tests or even scripts just so they can show like, hey, we're prepared to do the work. Gotcha. Not only is it just a few pieces of key artwork, but we've thought about the whole thing as a, as like a holistic idea. Makes sense. I mean, you know, you, you're you used to this. You should be used to it by now. You've been around for 20 years yeah. in the studio. So, okay, totally. you mentioned also um, you were feeling a little bit geographic locked with what you were putting out into the world with animation, you know, and, mm. and like getting funding from... The government is not essentially going to help you create something that has more of an international audience if they're specifically looking for stuff that uh, fits within the local community. So how are you Ooh. taking the experience of um, creating for the New Zealand 
public, um, you know, TV and whatever mm -hmm. uh, channels to yep. breaking out into the more international markets. Yeah, well, that sort of leads to the next big sort of point in Mukbuddy's history, which is um, Bad Jelly the Witch. <laughs> so Bad Jelly the Witch is going to be our next big project, and it's our first, like, big budget international project, which is really exciting. It means the studio gets to grow again. It means we get to, like, show off our writing chops again to the rest of the world. It will be something we are, you know... So I, I looked up Bad Jelly because I had never heard of it before, but it's a Ooh. children's book from the 70s by an Irish author. Is that correct? Something like That's that? That's right. He like so wrote Sp it for his kid and it took off. <laughs> That's right. So Spike Milligan is the guy. So Spike Milligan is well known in the 70s, particularly in the UK. Um, he uh, was in a troupe called The Goons, so a TV show called The Goon Show. And that was the big inspiration for Monty Python. So ah. Monty Python sort of happened through this guy or because of him. Interesting. Um, and he'd, he'd do all sorts of stuff on the radio. Uh, he had a BBC, a, a frequent BBC radio um, appearance. And he also wrote kids' books. Um, so he did a radio play of the kids' book. It's very short. It's about 20 minutes long to listen to it. Um, and weirdly, it was played in New Zealand every single Sunday morning through the 70s. On oh, wow. Radio, so radio New Zealand. There was only a few radio channels and every single Sunday morning it would play. So you so grew up listening. You can recite this. Well, I, I can't. I can. <laughs> but uh, I was born a little bit after that. But there's definitely a generation of people who what? grew up. Knowing the story through and through. Sorry, but I, I didn't yeah, mean yeah. to say you were that old, but I just meant like no, no, no. a culture of, <laughs> of like this story specifically in New Zealand. Absolutely. And from that playing on the radio, it also played like there's a, a history of it being in like school plays. Like every uh, school does yeah. like a play version of this weird audio play. And it's it's a it's a crazy story. It's a little bit Wizard of Oz y. Yeah, it's I looked up the about, synopsis and it was it looked it sounded pretty crazy. It's <laughs> like, very God crazy. It's very non <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We may be removing some of the weirder stuff, the stuff that uh or the stuff that is uh so, so, appropriate so <laughs> you somehow got the rights to um, create this in a, in a pitch or you were working with a partner or, or like, you know, how did this how did this come across? I don't know how much you can share, but yeah. So um, Alex, one of the lead mucks, he was just drawing some witches. I love one that you call well. each other mucks. I mean, that's just yeah. so nice <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're all mucks, mucklings, but the main mucks, the three of them. So Alex, Tim and Ryan, Alex was drawing a um, a witch one day. And literally just was like, hey, we haven't seen like a d definitive adaptation of Bad Jelly the Witch. I wonder who has the rights. And Ryan just put it out on Twitter to be like, hey, anyone know who has the rights to Bad Jelly the Witch? Eventually got in contact or we got an email of somebody who uh, turned out to be Spike Milligan's um, old secretary. Wow. Uh, she, she was in her 80s. Uh, oh she took, she's tweeting. She's looking out. She's looking out for tweets. Well, somebody at least found her email. And, um, you know, she took a long time to reply to emails. But eventually yeah. we started a conversation. Um, from there, yeah, we got in contact with the rest of the Milligan children. So, um, and from there we, we pitched our idea to them. And it was this, yeah, crazy thing where... The guy who who owned the audio rights happened to be on holiday in New Zealand, and we just brought him into the studio and we pitched him the idea, and he was like, "Awesome, cool," and he set, he set us up with the right people involved, 
and we got the rights to Bad Jelly, which is crazy. Um, I don't know what to say. This sounds super coincidental. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It was a weird thing, and it just all sort of came together. So from there, we've so now we have the rights. That's the first step. So this is like 2017, something like that. Uh, maybe even a little bit later. So we have the rights, and the next step is trying to piece together the money for it. Yeah. Um, working with uh, a few different producers. We've got a producer, um, Roger, who was really good at you know finding the right people, speaking to the right people, and uh, in amongst you know starting to have conversations. Then COVID hit. Right. So at first, everything sort of settles down um where sorry. like when you say gathering the right money like before like where's the money coming from you know you mentioned the government the of new we, zealand is mm -hmm. offering money to make tv shows but where else mm -hmm. you know are you getting money from to potentially put i don't know maybe a million dollars into a season of something mm -hmm. like where does that money come from essentially that was our big question <laughs> that was the thing well we had this awesome ip now and we were like okay what do we do with this how do we do this and then in amongst covid um there was a, a special fun, a film commission grant put out from the New Zealand Film Commission hmm. looking for um, looking for pictures. They initially weren't looking at animation or TV shows or anything like that, uh, but we put together a really, really solid pitch. Um, at this point, we teamed up with um, Heath Kenny and Mercury Filmworks to work together to develop sort of a really nice pitch. Nice. So we had Mercury Filmworks, to, you know, behind us at that point too, which was really helpful. Um, yeah. Put together a really slick pitch. Did you just um, call up Heath and you're like, hey, hey, bud? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's one of those things. He may have even gone in contact with us once he heard we had the rights. It's, you know, it's one of those industries that just, you know, just from you just got to know people. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Um, but yeah, then the Film Commission got involved. So the Film Commission um, was the next big step. Hmm. So they provide, you know, enough money to bring it to an international level. And then we had to bring in some, um, then we had to make it a international co-production, which is the stuff that's getting worked out right now. Right. So there will be, we will be bringing in money from um, overseas distributors and stuff like that. Yeah. It's my understanding but, that once you have a government grant or some, some funding mm -hmm. already, that becomes so much more attractive to other international partners to, to come Absolutely. on because it makes a much more serious thing. Absolutely. And there's all this bunch of stuff, which I won't go into about, you know, right. tax incentives and all that sort of thing too, with certain territories. Um, yeah. So it was this crazy thing that, as you said, all started with a tweet, which is so bizarre. Wow. Wow. That <laughs> a is tweet, and then, and then a really good pitch Bible though. I will say it was good. We put together a really slick teaser as well to really help. Um, and yeah, and we're a few months away from it kicking off which is crazy. That's amazing. How does it feel like looking back over, you know, uh, you're 16 years old, you finished high school super early, <laughs> jumped into animation school, got diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, had to move mm. back in with your parents, had to figure out uh, how am I going to make money? You're teaching kids after school and scrambling mm -hmm. to make logos for freelance projects <laughs> on your Wacom tablet at home. Yep. So to now, like, you know, working on an international level, producing Ooh. something that's part of your i don't know nostalgic childhood probably absolutely yeah, uh, yeah with a team of uh on the better half of almost 100 <laughs> yeah yeah how does that I feel i mean it's 
it's incredible and it really is i really am so grateful for it there's so many steps along the way that i i've got to remember yeah and like yeah notice and recognize that gratitude because there are so many steps where if i didn't have the right people around me or if i didn't have if, if the timing wasn't right at that point i would have turned away from animation i, I know that i would have interesting because i was going to ask you you know what pushed you through to to come here but you just you're saying if if timing wasn't right you were about to mm -hmm. say this isn't right for me yeah i was you know i was looking at different options i i loved teaching i really did so i thought that, that could be you know so did you give yourself a cutoff point and say like if i'm not somewhere in the next month i'm i'm not gonna bother and i'm just gonna teach it wasn't that black and white because mostly because the muck pity stuff sort of uh came into my life so naturally Hmm. If that makes sense. Like it was so gradual that yeah. all of a sudden I was in the middle of this production and I thought, okay, this is actually what I want. This is it. Uh, working with a bunch of people, um, making stuff that we want to make, telling our stories. Like yeah. that's that felt like okay. I was like, okay, this is it. Well, what, why have no? I been? Yeah, exactly. Why have I been? You know, toying with other ideas, and you know, and even even before then, the the ad work and stuff was going really well. Like financially, that was a bit more consistent, to be honest. You know, it was, I was work, working with Saatchi and Saatchi and companies like that doing storyboarding. Um, but I was like, nah, this isn't quite for me. I want to tell my own stories. <laughs> yeah. So what would happen, you know, going forward in the future? Say Bad Jelly mm -hmm. doesn't work out. Uh, maybe there's a big drought of animation for a while. You have to make mm -hmm. layoffs. Like what would keep you going through that? I think the people around us here, to be honest, yeah. this seems like it's just a big love letter to the studio, but it kind of is like I get to get up every day and make cartoons with my best friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it hasn't been easy the last few years. We have taken on service work and amongst the other stuff and those turnarounds are tight and the budgets aren't as good. Um, but I am, I am, I have confidence in this working at this point. The momentum's going in the right direction. So I really do feel this is, yeah, everything's going the right way. And even nice. if, you know, if there's a break or a pause along the way, I think if you're into it, I think it will, you'll come back to it. Yeah. Like, I don't think at this point I want to stop telling stories or at least being involved in the storytelling process. Well, now you've had a taste. Well, I mean, that kind of speaks yeah. to what you've said throughout your journey is, you know, that community aspect and also mm. you know, what brought you to animation in the first place, trying different things and telling stories. So that I think that... I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. Man. That's maybe good. just um, a question about the industry in New Zealand. You know, mm -hmm. it sounds it sounds quite small from mm -hmm. where we talked about where, you know, one out of 50 students is working in New Zealand. Has yeah. there been now that you're you yourself is a, a, a mud mud? I always want <laughs> muck 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 <laughs> yeah. putty. Uh, you know, you're you're over 50 people now. Does this mm -hmm. mean that the industry in New Zealand has been increasing and, and growing and more studios yep. are popping up and more people are getting into animation there? I mean, that is the other reason I want I want to stay here and grow this, is it feels like we are growing an industry for the first time. Like Bad yeah. Jelly will be the biggest 2D production of this sort ever in the country. Wow. Um that's quite so, that's quite incredible. And to be a part of that, you yeah, know, it's kind of absolutely. part of New Zealand's history in animation. Absolutely. So yeah, I think so. As far as the rest of the industry goes, like there are, there, there is animation happening down here. A lot of it is ad based or service work. Um, there are a few studios like Flux Studio. They do some stuff even for Disney. They mm. do some really cool stuff over there. Um, but as far as like two D stuff goes, you're looking at ad work or um, 
you know, lower end service work. Yeah. Uh, very few places trying to do what we do, which is to to create our own IP and tell a story start to finish. And that well, is what super tough, in. but if you're the only ones doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? And also like there's, like like I said, there's 50 people who are in my course. Like yeah. th that's 50 creative people, even if they didn't, you know, I'm like, where are those people? They they need a place to tell their stories too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is something I think about all the time. Like I went to Sheridan College and oh, of course. Um, I got into, I mean, I was, I was, I've always been into stop motion, but I also focused mm. on stop motion in Sheridan. But yep. out of my year with the people interested in stop motion, uh, I think only one other person has been able to get some work and like stop motion in Canada it's, it's almost non-existent there's like projects here and there that are government funded but that's about it so part yeah. of what I want to do and see through is trying to build that up more here too and bring more stop motion projects and whatnot so Ooh. I definitely feel you there and yeah, these, yeah it's a little bit disappointing to know that there are so many people even to go to animation school and pursue that is so challenging already you have to like mm -hmm. you know maybe potentially go against your parents wanting you to become an engineer and like figure out the finances and yeah. go to a different city and learn this really hard craft where you're head down and mm -hmm. just drawing for hours and hours and then mm. to not get into that after all that effort it's it's kind of sad <laughs> it is it's really difficult because like um I still do a little bit of tutoring here and there and the kids get to a certain age sort of once they've aged out of my course yeah. when the parents parents are going hey what sort of universities do they go to and it's really tricky like ethically yeah. I'm like I don't know that's a lot of money for a child to sign up to oh, where totally. I'm a hundred percent sure that they're going to make the money back you know what I mean or at least yeah. work in that industry it's really tricky but at the same time I met people who will be my lifetime friends and I met people who I'll create art with. So that's really important. I understand that's a huge part of it. It's the, the yeah. people you meet there. Um, but oh, it's difficult yeah. when there isn't a an industry to support it. I think with remote working becoming more and more prevalent, it's getting better. And, you know, even what I was doing freelancing, like that was awesome. The fact that I was a kid who was able to like, I say kid, you know, but I, I think, was in my I think, early twenties. Yeah. But you also company. had a massive drive to do this on your own. Like you, people Ooh. ask me like younger animators say like, how do I get into stop motion in Canada? And I'm like, you can't, you just have to yeah. push through with it, with everything you've got or you won't because mm -hmm. you have to kind of make things happen to yourself. And that's what you were doing when, mm. you know, 50, 49 other students potentially didn't have that same drive as you and look where it got you you know there weren't yeah. opportunities for you at some point and because you stuck through it you were in those places that the owners of Makpati could see that oh this guy's serious oh I keep seeing him at this place you know he's doing this no matter what so and that I was interested in trying to make my own stuff like, yeah, whether, whether it's that's... like you know the cut I did small comics I did you know uh, children's books I self-published children's books and stuff like that the drive to want to make your own thing and trying to stand yeah, out that yeah. way. Um, you know, and it's, I, I wasn't the best out there, but I kept at it. <laughs> I think that's the other thing too. I always aimed to, to try to be undeniable with it. Um, yeah. There are definitely illustrators out there better than me, but I stuck around and I tried really hard to, uh, networking's gross. I don't like the word networking at all, but I try <laughs> hard to make friends with people, legitimate friendships with the people who are doing the stuff that I wanted to do. And nice. I think that, that helps too. So what do you say to those parents now when they, you know, they ask what universities my my kid go to and you're mm -hmm. thinking, well, it's a lot of money. I don't I don't think 
you know, it might not be worth it, how mm -hmm. the industry is set up. And they say, like, I don't mind anyways. Like, what would you? Well, that's the thing. You... I just be, I, I try to be honest with them. I'm like, why are they going? Are they going just to learn the skill? If they're going yeah. just to learn the skill, I kind of think you can learn a lot of it online, particularly if they're like, you know, quite young and they're savvy and they've got the time. I'm like, you can learn a lot of it online. Or a lot of it just by doing it. You know what yeah. I mean? Animation oh, is such a like pencil mileage sort of thing. It, you just need to actually do it. But if you want to go, and if another part of it is meeting friends and finding your tribe, like working out who you are. Like a lot of us only find out who we are when we go to university, when yeah, we're around yeah. the sort of the weirdos who are weird like us. So, so like you'd important. say, like maybe the parent is like my son or daughter or whatever. Uh, they are not really sure what they want to get into. They, you mm -hmm. know, I'm really hoping they find their people. You'd say go to university. <laughs> Potentially, as long as they can financially yeah, make it work. Right. It is just a huge part of it. Like a lot yeah. of people don't have that privilege. So it's like if you can make it work, um, and it's different everywhere in the world, obviously. Like uh, in New Zealand now, your first year of university is free, which oh is awesome. Oh my gosh. I would have loved that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there are stipulations we've got to finish three years or something like that. But oh, um, like that makes it an easier yes, I would say. Yeah. Um, but it, it really comes down to that because it's, you know, it's it took me a while to to get enough money to pay all that stuff off. I, as yet, I was also so privileged that I had a support network. Yeah. yeah like yeah. if I didn't have family and friends who would have... Uh, who would have helped if I was, you know, really financially down, then I don't know if I would have taken the risk. So I've got to acknowledge that privilege. I really do. Yeah. And I re I'm really grateful for it. Amazing. Well, I'm glad that you, you know, you've built yourself up in a career that, you know, it sounds like you're reaching a really good place with, you know, even our chat about finances and mental health Ooh. and balance at the beginning. What is, you know, looking forward, uh, you're doing a lot of things that you already wanted to do looking forward. You know, what is, is there something that you're still working towards that you're like, dang, I'm, I really want this to happen or I want this to, uh, be realized in my career or my life or, or are you going, going with the flow is, is exactly what you kind of want. <laughs> yeah, I do like, I like the idea of balance. I think balance is going to be the key for me in the next sort of few years. I want to regain that balance. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. want to, uh, be as creatively fulfilled as possible um, while being able to turn enough of that off in my brain. You know what I mean? To, to turn so what would, what would enable you possible. to turn off the creativity? <laughs> well, stability, which is what we're building. So the fact okay. that we're building an industry down here, which hopefully means we have work for the next year and a half gotcha. without having to hustle, that's huge. And again, a privilege. And then that, that part of your stress mind is just relaxed. A little bit, that yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I want to get that balance back because like I really enjoy painting and drawing every day. <laughs> and that's never gonna stop. But I also yeah. want to be able to like I've been paddle boarding and stuff every morning. Like I've nice. been wow. know, cooking more, really like fun. all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I've picked your brain out about a lot of things. Is there anything that uh we missed that you wanted to talk about? Nah, I've listened to you for over a hundred episodes, dude. <laughs> I've I've I know what you know. <laughs> okay um, is is you can a uh, hundred that's crazy i mean i know there are a couple <laughs> of you out there <laughs> yeah yeah no, um, totally. but like i said it's huge like people listen to podcasts sometimes to uh 
to know that they're not alone in whatever they're going oh, yeah. through. Um, particularly, like, it's not just me over here in New Zealand. There are other people outside of North America and Centralized yeah, Europe yeah, who yeah. listen to your podcast because they're like, cool, this is a possibility. Or if, you know, I, I, I wish this was a thing when I was studying. I wish yeah. podcasts were more of a thing then when I could have been like, cool, this is going to lead somewhere. I could... Oh, yeah. I could the, be making that's kind of been stuff. the progression of my podcast too. You know, when I first started, it was just a tool to network within mm -hmm. the own, my own Toronto community because I didn't know anybody. And then I started mm. learning more about, you know, studios I could work for in the U S and then I realized because of people like you that reach out to me and say, you know, I'm listening from whatever country. Uh, mm. I realized that there's a much more international audience that's interested in, uh, you know, connecting with other people around the world and figuring out what they're doing. So, um, yeah. I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I have had a lot more international guests on, Mm -hmm. this past year because i'm actively trying to have conversations with those people to to build that kind of sense of community and connection and figure out what mm. people are in different areas of the world so i know there's uh, you know i've had a couple new zealand kiwi kiwi <laughs> kiwi uh, what what do i kiwis. <laughs> kiwis is good yeah kiwis kiwi people yep. <laughs> kiwi's <laughs> on already so <laughs> and yeah, he's yeah. amazing at making connections so i think it's really cool that you know him too so mm. it's just good it's just really nice for me to hear that um you mm. know uh I chatting every week with people and I put it on the internet and don't really sp spread the word and people are finding it somehow. So I think that's great. And also the fact of, you know, we work in these bubbles sometimes we work, yeah. you know, you don't know how far your reach is in any way. Like the, slowly we'll be putting more and more stuff on the Mukpati YouTube channel. So international mm. people will see all that stuff. But like, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I saw Silly Duck Wizard in our finest cinema down here in New Zealand during our International Film Festival in 2019. I, I rocked up to the cinema and saw that. Like that well, played down here. <laughs> I don't know if you, I'm pretty sure I knew about that. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was that they play a um, an animated segment that is like a bunch of different animated shorts and they yeah. it, yours was in there and it was one of the only stop motion ones which i'm sure you've heard this a lot but it stands out whenever yeah, it's in like super. a festival circuit so i remember oh. seeing that years ago in our nicest cinema with like um it has opera seats and the the ceiling is like painted oh with my goodness and... i should have flown down for that i had no yeah. clue <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome right you made this yeah. were you still studying at the time when you yeah, made i was that? in i was in school when i incredible I took, you made that uh, while made you were studying the other side of the world yeah. and then like a few years later that played in our most prestigious cinema <laughs> like, that's uh, awesome. i made it in 2019 so it played the same year that i made it crazy yeah, yeah. i'm that's... sure it was that one because i don't think the film festival happened in 2020 so yeah that's yeah, yeah. it was awesome well, that so, i now i need to look up the cinema and see how fancy how fancy yeah, i'll send you a photo <laughs> yeah yeah so that's yeah. crazy so how connected it's a reach to think, all like, of this you know uh it's for me, sometimes it's easy to get caught up in numbers and say like, oh, 100,000 people or whatever. But also like, you know, doing something that impacts one person is just as special sometimes. And oh, it's huge. something that, I mean, maybe in animation, you don't get funded for uh, impacting one person. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, totally. it just kind of reminds me of the, why I'm doing this in the first place. So that's good to hear. Thanks for sharing Yeah. That. No, no, totally. Is it? It's exciting. You never know the reach you're going to have with anything we yeah. make. And I think that's yeah. that's also the drive that keeps people going, right? You don't totally. know who well, even even the story with, with. Uh, I think you said Alex. His name was uh, sharing that one tweet, which is crazy. So yeah, yeah. yeah uh, all right. I'm going to take that away from this chat. Just you mm -hmm. never know who you're going to impact, what's going to happen, and yeah. work life balance. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt. Well, is, is there anything else you wanted to share that that we're uh, wrapping up? 
Nah, check out the the Muckpitter YouTube channel just to see our stuff. As I said, it's hard to get it. A lot of our stuff is geo-blocked, but um, we're going to slowly release everything on YouTube um, now that the New Zealand licenses are done. So it'd be cool for people to see our stuff. Um, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure oh, to you. pick your brain and to, to meet you. I think it's great. <laughs> No, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Jerry. All right. And uh, like you, like Matt said, you know, if you want to check out Muck Putty's work, mm -hmm. you can check out their YouTube channel. I'm going to include a link in the description of this chat. So please go check that out. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Willem Mendo and the graphics by Luhan Wang. I encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work.